Today, on the very first episode of Back in the Box, we are going to start with the first episode in the series of the history of women in rodeo, with the very beginning of rodeo as a whole. Rodeo stresses its Western folk hero image and its being a genuinely American creation, but the fact of it grew out of the practices of Spanish ranchers and their Mexican ranch hands, vaqueros, a mixture of cattle wrangling, bullfighting, and bronc riding that dates back to the 16th century conquistadors. Ideas produced by the Spanish were bull riding and steer wrestling. Bull wrestling was part of an ancient tradition throughout the Mediterranean, including Spain. Ancient Minoans of Crete practiced bull jumping, riding, and wrestling, and it may have been an Olympic sporting event of the Greeks. There would be no steer wrestling today in American rodeo if not for a black cowboy from Texas named Bill Pickett. Bill Pickett developed his own method of bulldogging where you would jump from a horse's back to the steer's back, bit its upper lip, and threw it to the ground using its horns. He performed at local Texas shows and, dis- and was discovered by an agent who signed him on a tour of the West. He received sensational national publicity with his bulldogging e- exhibition at the 1904 Cheyenne Frontier Days. After that, he spent many years performing in the United States and abroad. Rodeo evolved after the Texas Revolution and the U.S.-Mexican War when Anglo cowboys learned skills, attire, vocabulary, and sports of the vaqueros. Ranch versus ranch contests gradually sprang up as bronc riding, bull riding, and roping contests appeared at racetracks, fairgrounds, and festivals of all kinds. William F. Cody, or Buffalo Bill, created the first major rodeo and the first Wild West show in North Plate, Nebraska, in 1882. Women joined the Wild West in contest rodeo circuits in the 1890s, and their participation grew as the activities spread geographically. The word rodeo was occasionally used for American cowboy sports until the 1920s, and and professional cowboys did not officially adopt the term until 1945. There was no attempt to standardize the events needed to make up such sporting contests until 1929. From the 1880s through the 1920s, Frontier Days, Stampedes, and Cowboy Contests were the most popular names. The Cheyenne Frontier Days, as you may know it, began in 1897 and remains the most significant annual community celebration today. Until 1922, cowboys and cowgirls who won at Cheyenne were considered the world's champions. Before World War II, the most popular roadie events included trick riding, trick and fancy roping, and racing. During this era, women rode broncs and bulls and roped steers, often competing against men and winning. In 1912, a group of Calgary businessmen hired American roper Guy Wiedrich to manage, promote, and produce his first stampede. In 1919, Calgary Stampede was a minor success and he led the way for a new era in which powerful producers, instead of local committee, rodeo enjoyed enormous popularity in New York, Chicago, Boston, and Philadelphia, as well as Lon- London, Europe, Cuba, South America, and the Far East in the 1920s and 1930s. Despite numerous tours abroad before World War II, rodeo is really only significant in North America. It does exist in Australia and New Zealand, but top athletes from this these countries come to America to seek their fortunes. Rodeo as a whole started from way back when, when none of us really remember, and 
from then till today, it has grown and changed to develop to what we have today with national organizations like the WPRA, the PRCA. We have PBR and we have NHSRA, all of which have their origins deep within the history of America. Many people do not think of it this way today, but rodeo has helped shape America today. From a personal standpoint of the history of rodeo as a whole, I can remember when people were wearing Rockies and dirty beat up cowboy hats and the horses were tools for excitement and chaos and sometimes danger in the sport of rodeo where people come to watch the excitement in the danger and they would get a thrill out of seeing someone get bucked off of a bowl or be on their feet cheering wildly as someone raced around the barrels. Now today, people watch the events and they cheer when something goes well versus when something bad happens. And the sport today, there are many people like animals activists who want to turn against rodeo but what they don't realize is today's rodeo is much safer and cares for the animals a lot more than it did then. So rodeo as a whole has evolved from these times to create sort of a an environment where people can have fun and show off their talent while bonding and basically creating a team where you feel as one with an animal or with a partner and their animal and the competition is, yes, it's competitive and you're going for points or for money or you're trying to qualify for an even bigger, bigger rodeo. But at the same time, it's fun and we enjoy it. Sourcing from the Cowboy Lifestyle Network, the history of rodeo has come far to today. And it's amazing to think back on its roots where it began before rodeos were even called rodeos, cowboys across the nation were testing their skills and their ponies against their fellow ranchers. Of course, there's room for competition. There will be just that. Fun on the ranch quickly turned to who can do this task the fastest with the fastest time. I'm sure back then there was a whole lot of, hey, hold my beer and watch this. At least that's what I imagine when I see bull riders getting one road back in the day. The meaning of rodeo actually dates back to the Spanish word rodeo, which means to encircle. As Americans moved west and were influenced by the Spanish, their culture started to rub off, and soon enough small, informal competitions began popping up between ranches to see who was the best hand. Back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there still weren't set arenas, so it was pretty common for ranchers to create an arena by parking a bunch of vehicles in a circle and calling it a day. A, a good example of this story I heard about Gunson Cattlemen's Days in Gunson, Colorado. The Gunson Valley is known for its tight-knit community and ranching roots. Back when the rodeo first began, ranchers would drive their cattle and horses right into town for the rodeo. Talk about getting western. Fast forwarding to 1947, we see the formation of the Cowboys Rodeo Association, or RCA. This organization was put together to start enforcing rules with rodeo competitions. In 1959, the PRCA had its first finals rodeo in Dallas, Texas. 
That was the home for the finals for the first three years, then moved to Los Angeles for three years, then to Oklahoma City until 1984 when it moved to Las Vegas, where it has been home to the finals ever since. While the values of rodeo haven't changed a whole ton when you pull up to a rodeo, you won't be greeted by an arena made of vehicles or wagons. Modern-day rodeos are truly a production. From start to finish, everything is perfectly timed and planned to give the audience the perfect show. The contestants the, be- the contestants the best run, and the animals their best life. The animals you see on the circuit today are considered athletes and live a full life of luxury. Contestants travel the nation down the rodeo road in rigs that are more like small homes, but when you're in the middle of it watching the show, your soul bleeds red, white, and blue because one thing will never change, and that is the foundation that rodeo was built on, true American ideals. Everyone in the rodeo industry, many different sources have different ideas of the history of rodeo. The Rodeo Heritage Foundation says that the exact origin of rodeo is a little fuzzy because no one is entirely sure when cowboys started making their daily chores a competition. Let's be real though, leave it to men to turn their job into a sport. But that's essentially what happened. A lot of the work that had to be done on the ranch back in the day is the foundation of modern day rodeo events. The true inventor of rodeo isn't known, but what but what we do know is the term rodeo comes from the Spanish word rodeo, meaning roundup in Spanish, just like said in the previous source with the previous source. Rodeo in America really started to bloom after the Texas Revolution. The early days involved more of the ranch versus ranch competition where cowboys from neighboring ranches would compete against each other. This in turn led to the evolution of the rodeo that we see today. If we were to name someone who created the first ongoing rodeo that resembles what we attend today, it would be Buffalo Bill, who created the first traveling Wild West show. In fact, the Wild West show is what started the Cody Night Rodeo in Cody, Wyoming. So if you want someone to point fingers at, it may as well be him. Some cool facts about rodeo history is the earliest formal rodeos were claimed to be have held in Prescott, Arizona on July 4th, 1888. After that, Cheyenne Frontier Days in 1897, the Pendleton Roundup in 1910, and the Calgary Stampede in 1912. American rodeo was heavily influenced by the Mexican event Charidas. Early rodeos were often held in the Southwest by competing ranches in a mix of Mexican and American. The term rodeo wasn't fully adopted by cowboys and fangoers until around 1945, Turning to the history of barrel racing, we may wonder why a cloverleaf pattern and why, what came about for the sport? Were people maybe just loping a horse around a tree, some trees for some exercise and realized, hey, this could be a cool event in a rodeo? Who knows? Where did the famous barrel racing of the modern day today come from and why has it became so popular? For how long I've known about barrel racing, I never really knew the history behind how it all started. I wanted to dig into the rich history of rodeo and the infamous clover pattern. It all started in the 1930s when Faye Blackstone from Parrish, Florida, as she was in her trick riding career, but it seemed to become replaced when she started her horsemanship to the barrels. She began the barrel racing event with a couple other cowgirls in 1950 in Florida. Dixie Mosley began her rodeo career when she was five and a half years old. 
As she grew through her rodeo family, she was able to see the sport of barrel racing take off through the Girls' Rodeo Association, or the GRA, when it started in 1948 as it progressed evolving to the Women's Professional Rodeo Association, the WPRA, in 1948. Wanda Bush won her first barrel racing championship in 1952 and continued to excel through the WPRA, winning multiple world championships. Barrel racing did technically start in 1931 in Stanford, Texas, but was only a figure-eight pattern and wasn't changed to the cloverleaf pattern until 1935. Although as it seemed to start in 1935, it wasn't strictly starting to judge it until 1949. Even as the cloverleaf pattern has continued to be a favor with most women in the rodeo industry, there still aren't any specific measurements to rule by but only certain ranges between each barrel. The largest barrel racing pattern takes place at the Pendleton Roundup as it has grass in the infield making it more difficult for horses to get sturdy footing as they increase speed between each barrel. With the safety of horses in mind, they kept the barrels on the racetrack around the grass infield in 1999. Now coming away from the history, this even is made for the horse and rider to work together as a team to maintain balance and speed throughout the event. When it comes down to the horses, they have to take the agility and speed to perform the best in this event. When thinking about the pattern, many have to be able to have a good seat throughout the sharp turns around each barrel to keep the horse in balance. When you run at your best performance, you are able to achieve the best of the best. The current record holder for the best time is Carly Pierce with a time of 13.46 seconds on her 12-year-old buckskin gelding, Dylan. She broke the 27-year-old record within seconds as she is completing in her, competing in her first finals. Barrel racing has come a long way through the years as it has, as it purses equal to e other rodeo events within the last 60 years of the sport. Do you think you could get down and dirty along with all of the other barrel racers in the WPRA? Would you ever consider trying to barrel race to see how fast and efficient you and your horse can work together? Those are the questions to be asking. The origins of team roping date back to the 18th century when Spanish vaqueros worked on ranches. Cowboys developed this technique when they handled larger animals that one man couldn't handle alone. It's one of the few rodeo events that directly evolves from cowboys' handling of the cattle on the ranch. Calf roping derives from an actual practice used by vaqueros and cowboy hands, requiring them to catch and restrain calves for medical purposes or for branding. Cowboy hands not only took pride in their speed for, of restraining calves, but also started to place small bets and have contests. The process involves throwing a rope with a loop, known as a lariat or lasso then, over the head and onto the neck of the calf, or sometimes on the horns, and also around the hind legs. This procedure was highly popular in the early days of rodeo, and is one of the many events in today's rodeo that stemmed from the actual duties of the earliest cowboys. Team roping requires close cooperation and timing between two highly skilled ropers, a header and a healer, and their horses. It is one of the rodeo's timed events similar to barrel racing, steer wrestling, and tie-down roping. The header and healer start in their respective boxes before leaving. The steer must be given a head start, determined by a rope known as the barrier. After the header ropes the steer, they make several wraps of the rope around, their horn, around the horn of their saddle called a dally to secure the steer and turn him to the left. Turning the steer to the left opens it up for the healer to catch the steer's hind legs. Just as steer wrestling, tie-down roping, and barrel racing are timed events, team roping is based on time too, meaning the quickest time wins. 
Once the header nods his head, the gate opens, and the header and healer sprint out of the roping box, starting the clock. To stop the clock, both cowboys must be in a straight line facing each other and no slack in either of their ropes. The barrier's length is determined by the length of the arena, and if the team ropers break the barrier, a 10-second penalty is added. The header must rope the steer with one of three legal catches. Clean horn catch around both horns, a neck catch around the neck, or a half-headed catch around the neck and one horn. Roping on any other part of the steer is considered illegal and the team will be disqualified. The healer must catch both heels, and if only one is caught, the team will be given a five-second penalty. The history of team roping begins when cattle were brought to the continental U.S. United States in 1521 by Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon. After he delivered a small herd of Andalusian cattle to Florida's west coast, Florida settlers began to claim them as their own, build ranches, and drove them around the U.S. Eventually, cattle made their way out west where they cultivated a system to raising these cattle. When ranch hands needed to safely treat an injured member of the herd or brand and tag calves, a pair of cowboys would rope the cow or calf. Team roping is one of the several rodeo events that directly evolved from this. One of the unique and strategic elements of team roping is the type of horses used. The most popular type of horse used in team roping is the American quarter horse. Quarter horses are agile, naturally coordinated, and have an athletic build. These qualities make a great head horse because they must have the strength to pull the steer to give the header a shot at roping the hind legs. This is all done within seconds, so the heel horse must be coordinated and able to move quickly and effectively. What started as a way of life in the Old West has migrated to Central Florida as a fraction of professional rodeo action you and your family can see at the Silver Spurs Arena. For over 75 years, the Silver Spurs Rodeo has been carrying on this American tradition. Many other rodeos have adopted the sport of team roping, and it is now a event all over the country. Pole bending is a timed event in which the speed and agility of the horse are tested as horse and rider twice weave through a course of six poles placed 21 feet apart, twice circling the end poles before turning and racing to the finish line. The pattern must be followed exactly, and a five-second penalty is added for each pole knocked down. Pole bending is a very tricky event because of the precision needed to get the horse through the pattern. It's a very difficult pattern, then forth making a longer time compared to barrel racing, where barrel racing could be anywhere from 19 to 13 seconds at the NFR, Pole bending fastest times are from a 22 to a 19 second run. Pole bending is a sport that likely started in the United States. The Nez Perce Native Americans are the first people to create a sport that is similar to that of pole bending. Their version of this sport is called a stake race. Two lines of poles are put into the ground and two horses and riders are required to race through them in a weaving snake-like pattern. It is believed that children and teenagers also would do these races for fun. In pole bending, horses are required to travel at fast speeds and weave quickly in between poles without knocking any of them over. Horses need to be incredibly agile, stable, and aware of their movements to be able to perform such turns at such a fast speed. This means that not only do pole bending horses need to be fast, but they also need to be flexible and light on their feet. 
Most pole demanding horses really like their job. The high intensity of their work and the quick maneuvers and turns that the horse is expected to do is really fun and exciting for both the horse and their rider. Horses like to have jobs, and having a job as quick, intense, and exciting as this makes pole bending really fun for most horses who run the sport. Pole bending is an incredibly dangerous sport. This is because the horse is turning and weaving so quickly at top speed, the riders rarely wear any protective gear, and accidents are nor a rare occurrence. Horses are known to fall over, roll over, trip, and stumble when performing the crazy footwork needed to weave between poles at top speed. Because the center of balance on the horse is changing so much, some riders have been known to lose their stirrups or their seat and come out of the saddle. The pressure put on the horse's legs can cause injuries such as torn suspensory ligaments and bowed tendons. This intense sport is dangerous and both fun for horses and riders. However, with the dangerousness of the sport, with intensive care or just careful practices, the horse and rider can stay safe. The pull bending pattern is actually quite a simple pattern. For the most part, it is just a weaving stake-like pattern that goes around six poles. The pattern for pull bending is the same no matter where you go. This way, times can easily be compared with each other and records are easily to keep, easier to keep track of. The pull bending pattern consists of six poles, all spaced evenly at 21 feet apart, and riders will guide their horses through this pattern as fast as possible without knocking over any poles. The world record holder for the fastest time to compete the complete the pole bending pattern was done by a girl named Emily Miller in 2009. She and her horse recorded a remi- remarkable time of 19.579 seconds. The penalties in pole bending are just like it is in most other sports. Penalties are given to riders and horses if they knock things over or do something considered illegal in the sport of pole bending. If you knock over a pole, additional 5 seconds are added to your time, and if you miss a pole and don't weave between them, 10 seconds are added to your time, which actually has been changed to if you miss a weave or cross the timers at your end turn, time is stopped and you are disqualified. Because pole bending is a western sport, most pole bending competitors are seen wearing cowboy hats before, during, and after the runs. Boots with a good heel are a must when bending poles. The last thing you want to happen is to have your foot stuck in a stirrup, fall, or get, or possibly get dragged. Wearing a good sturdy pair of cowboy boots with a heel, heel will keep this from happening. Not all riders in pole bending wear spurs, as it depends on the horse. If a horse requires spurs, then spurs will be used when strapped to the rider's boots. Some horses need the rider to use spurs to drive the horse faster, while others don't require the extra encouragement to run. Any shirt is acceptable to wear during pole bending, but in any official professional rodeo, a button-down shirt with a collar that fastens at the wrist are required. Bootcut jeans are a pole bending competitor's best friend when it comes to clothing. Bootcut jeans cover the top part of the rider's boot and are relatively comfortable to wear. The tack used consists of a barrel saddle that is specifically designed for a barrel racer. The barrel saddle will have a high pommel and high cantel to keep the rider in the saddle when rounding such tight bends. The reason these saddles are most commonly used in this sport is because the high cantel and pommel will help to hold the rider in place when they are weaving and turning so quickly. Saddle pads are sometimes colorful western saddle and western saddle pads are used in pull bending to give the horse more bright colorful appearance but also to help cushion under the saddle 
to avoid hurting the horse's back. Sometimes riders will intentionally match their tack with their other riding equipment for the sole pur purpose of catching the eye of the crowd and to put on a show. It is common to see a rider having a flashy breast collar on their horse in rodeo competitions such as these. Flashy breast collars can come in nearly any color and can be adorned by tassels or silver. And a breast collar helps for a saddle to not slide back as it attaches from the saddle, which is around the back and belly, around the chest. A rider needs a bridle to control the horse, which has a bit attached to it, which is used to turn the head to stop and push faster. Sometimes a rider's bridle will match their breast color. Other times it is possible that the rider might have a bridle might have the same pattern as certain equipment used on a horse, horse such as a saddle, but more commonly the breast color. One of the more famous life-thrilling events of rodeo today are the rough stock events including bull riding, saddle bronc riding, and bareback bronc riding. If you're anything like me, then the idea of getting on an animal that weighs up to 10 times more than you is terrifying. For some athletes, it isn't. In fact, they do this for a living. Whether it be a saddle bronc, bareback, or bull riding, it takes a certain kind of athlete to decide what is the that is the right path for them. From an outsider looking in perspective, here are a few things that we think it takes to be a rough stock rider. One is grit. This quality is at the top of our list because without it, the rest of them null and, avoid, and void. Regardless of what you're riding, when you get on your animal, you know you run the risk of getting hurt. And you know each time you're going to hit the ground or the fence, it takes a lot to decide that you're going to get back up and on time after time. You have to want it. This one may have you scratching your head, but I guarantee that there aren't any cowboys or cowgirls out there riding rough stock that don't want it or don't like it. This isn't a career or hobby that you can do in your spare time. Riding rough stock takes consistent dedication, not only to your skill, but also to your body. Practice makes perfect because these animals are unpredictable, and learning to predict their movements and move with them to stay on for the full eight seconds comes with practice. You need a mentor, regardless of who it is, having someone to help you record your rides. Give pointers and support you is crucial in your journey of being a rough stock rider. If you ask any of these rough stock riding legends, they all learn from someone else. Not to mention, you can skip the mistakes they made and go right to improving your riding with their mentorship. You need laser focus and nerves of steel. Bear with me for this next one. Most cowboys and cowgirls need something to keep their minds sharp and nerves under control when riding. This usually looks like some kind of a cigarette or dip of some kind, but thankfully, not a lot of people do this. You need to keep your nerves under control in some way, and that involves keeping yourself quiet, maybe listening to some music, um, maybe listening to a small clip of a podcast, or something to keep your mind in check before you get on this animal where you need your full, absolute attention and focus. Goat tying is a rodeo event in which is becoming very common in most junior rodeo, high school, and college rodeo events. This event attracts more women to the sport of rodeo and is commonly organized in a high school or college rodeo events. The aim of goat tying is to tie three legs of a goat, which is staked in a rope at the end of a rodeo arena. The player has to ride his horse to the, that point, which is usually about 100 feet, 
and dismount from the horse by sliding or by running to get to the go. After tying the three of its legs, raise your hands up. The raising of the tied goat denotes the raising of your hands after tying the goat denotes the end of the race. The person who completes it with the lowest time will win the race. There are certain rules to be followed. The goat should stay tied in the rope during the eight-second tying period. After you have gotten up off your goat, a clock is started for an eight seconds, and if the goat kicks free, you are disqualified. The rider's horse is not allowed to cross the rope, which is used to stake the goat. Once you get off your horse, if your horse runs across, over, or steps on the rope in which the goat is tied, you get a penalty. If these mistakes are committed by the participant, a penalty of 5 to 10 seconds is added to the rider's time. This will surely ruin all the chances of the rider to win the game, as most games last only a time of 10 seconds. In competitions, different ropes are used for boys and girls. Girls use goat tying rope, but boys are used are supposed to use pigging string, strings in the events. This is not a mandatory rule to be followed. There are two different flanking techniques used by the participants. They are stuffing and pinning. In stuffing, the goat is collected while in stuffing, the goat is collected while it is still up in the air. For properly stuffing, the goat is collected the rider from up high in the air. This consumes some valuable seconds. Pinning is a technique in which the legs of the goat are collected on the ground. This method is preferred by most of the comp competitors as it is sometimes quicker. The three main requirements for obtaining a better tie are precision, speed, and strategy. The tying action has to be practiced over and over as this should happen as a reflex action. When your actions become more streamlined and coordinated, you will be able to get faster and precise tie. A sudden planned, unplanned move can make you slow. Keeping your head low while tying the goat will help you get a better tie near the bones of its legs. The second thing to remember is to lessen unnecessary body movements. If you are moving your whole body for tying, it will sure you slowly down. surely slow you down. Try maintaining a stable stance while tying the goat. This will surely save you time. The third tip is to consider, consider is the position of the knot you are making. The knot is to be made near the bottom of the legs, otherwise it will loosen if the goat strains. Along with the physical demands, the event of goat tying is more of a challenge to be one with your mental strength. Goat tying also includes the dismount of the horse, which many girls come barreling down the arena at top speeds, swing their leg over, and hang for a second before dropping to the ground as the horse runs past them as they run to the goat. This part of the event is a very risky situation because if you step wrong or you dismount at the wrong time or perhaps you're going too fast to run to keep up, you can fall, trip, stumble, whatever it may be, and dismounting at a speed of oftentimes 35 miles an hour can be quite frightening. As you may now know, rodeo as a sport is a very large collective community thing with many different events and many different ways to compete. Different from something such as football, where you're always doing the same thing over and over, depending on your position. In rodeo, there are multiple different things that you can do. You can be a barrel racer, pole bender, goat tire, breakaway roper, and team roper for the girls. Do all of them at once or stick, strictly stick to events which include livestock such as goat tying and roping. Or stick to the speed events that involve obstacles like poles and barrels with barrel racing and pole bending. 
For the boys, you have the rough stock events, tie-down roping, and team roping, which are all include livestock. For some, they may stick strictly to the rough stock, which involves getting on an animal and riding it for eight seconds, or you may strict stick strictly to roping. But a lot of people that you see are going for the all-around title, which means they can compete in all of the events. Rodeo has evolved so much from the beginning of time to now, and to see it continue to change in the future is quite the treat. Thank you for listening to this to today's episode on the very beginning of rodeo and a general overview of all of the events. The next episode will talk about the early years of women's rodeo with people like Buffalo Bill Cody and different females who have helped shape the sport.